Totally Football Show today. Kane, Payne, Higuain, David Wagner on a plane. We ran up all the big developments and we give our verdict on Spygate. With Derby shaking their fists harder than Oxford's self-completing Gavin White, we asked, did Bielsa pull off the biggest public masterstroke by not washing his hands of it? Huge issues in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. In the pod for you, Emma Saunders. Hello. Hi, Emma. We've got some exciting revelations about you and your past coming up. We do. Looking forward to that. Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Hi, Duncan. And also, sorry, the pause was because I was just wondering, you were just mentioning Oxford United statement about the, 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 um, the mm. white stuff. The white stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, they, it was very delicately handled, although the sort of playing on, <laughs> playing on the fact that he was a quiet, a shy lad seemed, uh, seemed a brave move. Right. Also here, Matt Davis-Adams, who's excited about uh, Arsenal-Chelsea. Very much so. Hiya. And so many other things. So much has happened. Uh, since we were last in, I mentioned at the start there uh, that the news about Harry Kane, which is obviously huge, and David Wagner then leaving Huddersfield very much by mutual consent. Uh, the whole business with Bielsa exploding, uh, and also, of course, FA Cup replays. Uh, let's begin, though, shall we, with ahead of that Arsenal Chelsea clash, Matt, with the, with the situation at the top. Arsenal, of course, now fighting off Man United. Those two teams are six points behind Chelsea who are themselves a point behind this wounded-looking Spurs. Spurs face Fulham this weekend. United host Brighton. The pressure's going to be on Arsenal and Chelsea. Matt, you're going to be all over this for Chelsea TV. Mm, yeah, and it, during the game against Newcastle last week, when William made it 2-1 to Chelsea, I mentioned to, to Clive Walker, my co-commentator, and, and he agreed that there was like an odd hush that fell over the stadium as people realised how significant it would be if Chelsea won that game, Arsenal having lost at West Ham earlier in the day. Because if Chelsea go and win at Arsenal then I would say they've effectively knocked them out of the race for the wow. top four because they've nine, nine points, points ahead it, of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And and it's um it's one of those games, isn't it, that's like a Premier League classic, but we kind of come to this one with neither at the peak of their powers and particularly Arsenal, it seems, this week. There's a lot of misery yeah. around them, so maybe it's a good time. What's your record to... like at the Emirates? Uh, pretty good. Uh, the, the only defeat in the last 14 games that Chelsea have suffered against Arsenal home and away in the Premier League was the infamous 3-0 September 2016 when Conte switched to the back three for the second half. Um, other than that, obviously Arsenal put Chelsea out of the League Cup at the semi-final stage last season, in the Premier League in particular, yeah, Chelsea's record is good there. Not as good as it was when Didier Drogba was playing. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned, the shine rather coming off Arsenal's season of late. They've lost two of their last three. Most recently, the defeat at West Ham. Haven't kept a clean sheet since early December. And bad news off-field with uh, Sven Mislin's stat. Is it Mislintat? Yeah, well, he does like a stat. So There you go. Yeah. <laughs> He's now leaving only 14 months after joining. Yeah. Is that shock news, Duncan? It is shock news because he was brought in to kind of, you know, restock the talent pool at Arsenal. Um, they kind of got the reverse problem to Chelsea. And Chelsea have got so many good youngsters, they can't fit them into the into the team. Arsenal, you know, they haven't really had that much strength in depth coming through. Um, and, you know, even when they've got big players like Mesut Ozil, he's not getting in the team either, which I think is the other big story there. Um, of all teams, he's never assisted against in the Premier League. Uh, there aren't many, but Chelsea are the main ones. He's played them nine times and never assisted so Emery could be justified in, in not playing him again this weekend See I would play Ozu in this game I know he's effectively been frozen out and Ramsey in the same way 
is likely probably not to play, but I'd play both of them. Arsenal's problems with their defending, surely it's known Arsenal's best form of defence is attack. So in a game like this, I think they've just got to bring it to Chelsea. Um, Matt, obviously you see Chelsea week in, week out, but would it be that kind of setup that they'd have a chance against Chelsea? Would you agree? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's sort of it's not really been pointed out that Chelsea have actually got a really good defensive record this season. Second fewest goals conceded um, behind Liverpool. I think the other thing with Özil potentially playing him is that they clearly want to get rid of him, or Emery doesn't like him. So you need a shop window for the next couple of weeks, don't you? So you yeah. know, if you put him in and he had a game like he did against Leicester, when was that back in September? Then maybe somebody would be tempted to. Who would you take out then? Uh, potentially a Wobi, I suppose. But I think there's there's no tactical justification potentially for for playing Ozil but yeah you know if you want to get rid of him then people need to be seeing him playing I suppose but who's realistically who's going to take him on 350 grand a week or somewhere near that apparently he's not keen on leaving because he knows that nobody's going to match that so it's a bit of a standoff and again sort of speaks to this odd malaise that's fallen over Arsenal after they were so not impressive but (laughs) they had that really long unbeaten run and actually and actually they were really good in the reverse fixture back in August when they were ever so unlucky to lose to a late goal 3-2 they came back twice yeah that game was very strange wasn't it the the first half in particular both teams pretty much gave up the concept of defending Mm. and it was end to end Um, I mean backing up Emma's point about Arsenal's defence not being very good they've lost the ball in their defensive third which has led to a shot more than any other team in the Premier League this season so that's not good having said that you know Arsenal could be nine points behind Chelsea at the end of this they've got a really nice run coming up four of their next six in the Premier League are at home Cardiff, Southampton and Bournemouth amongst the teams coming to the Emirates and they go away to Huddersfield so if they were to win this game then you know it all flips around doesn't it and they've got a chance to to put some pressure on Chelsea and and Spurs too Mm. Chelsea meanwhile with some good news although I think it's still not officially confirmed it does look like Gonzalo Higuain will be joining them, providing the side with the striker, the person who's going to do the work in the, in the final third that Maurizio Sarri had been crying out for. Higuain, it has to be said, uh, finished off the first half of the City season by ending a two-month goal-scoring drought. So is he the player that's going to help sort the Blues out? To get an opinion from a man who's seen an awful lot of Gonzalo, uh, we dialed up James Horncastle. Well, I think the hope is that by reuniting him with uh, Maritou Sarri, you get the Gonzalo Higuain of uh, two or three years ago, um, who scored uh, 36 goals in a single season um, in City A, which broke the single season scoring record, which had stood since 1950. Kind of one of the reasons why Higuain, at least in Italy, is viewed as one of the top five strikers in the world. I think if you were to expand that uh, debate outside of, of Syria and uh, talk to non-Italians. They would probably remember him uh, choking in various finals for his country, missing big chances. But um, certainly in Italy, he's delivered in big games and uh, he's delivered goals. But you have to say that his uh, season at Milan, his first four months, um, have been pretty disappointing. And I think uh, his awareness of the club's disappointment in him uh, is one of the reasons why he's, uh, he's sought out this move. Mm. Two months without scoring, although the, there was a hefty suspension in, in in the middle of that. You say that's the plan for Chelsea, that the the Sarri factor will reawaken the, the, the great striker in him. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, I, I think um, everything's set up uh, at Chelsea for him to um, to do well, I think. I think he's a plug-and-play player in that. He knows that system very well. Um, I think there's been a lot of conjecture about what hasn't really worked for, for Chelsea in the last few weeks or so, and it's. Um, I think it comes down to 
the team not having a lot of uh, time on the training ground with with Sadi to work on on the collective. Um, I think they just they just have time to work on the game plan for the next game. They're playing every three days, um, and um, he's someone who I think knows what uh, Sadi expects from a striker beyond uh, just goals. And also reconnects with with Jorginho as uh, as well, someone um, who he had a, a good understanding with whilst he was at Napoli. So um, you know it does break policy from uh, from Chelsea in terms of signing a, a player who's already over thirty, turned thirty one uh, last month. But to be honest, they seemed willing to do that for Edin Dzeko this time last year. It was only that Dzeko turned them down that um, that deal didn't uh, eventually happen. But um, he's much more than a goal scorer. Uh, Higuain he's someone who brings others into play I think that's often something that's overlooked about him um, that was certainly something that Juventus tried to um, use more of him for um, when he was in Turin for two years and to be honest he did pretty well then he scored the goal that kind of broke the camel's back last year for uh, Juve which ended Napoli's title challenge when they came when Juventus came back and won in um, against Inter at San Siro and he scored 23 goals in all comps in his first season there and 32 in all comps in his in his second season at Juventus so while he has hasn't hit the same heights that he did at, uh, at Napoli on the side. He's still he's still been a prolific goal scorer for the last uh, for the last couple of years. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Matt, are you excited about Big Higgs' arrival? I was really excited. And then last time I was on, um, you pointed out all the ways in which he's been a bit rubbish at Milan. So that, that's slightly less of my enthusiasm. Yeah, but, but to be fair, Milan have been a bit rubbish and, in many And ways, that's so. a bit of a graveyard for strikers generally, isn't mm. it? So Yeah. yeah. Andre and, Silva, look what he's doing since yeah, he left. Quite. Um, Chelsea have got quite a good record of bringing in, you know... Strikers in their autumn years. No, genuinely, there are a few that haven't worked, obviously, but um, it's quite reminiscent of when they got Samuel Leto. Nine goals in 21 games, which I think would be, you know, if Higuain did that, would be decent. Yeah, got a hat-trick against Man United. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm quite excited about Higuain because obviously Morata hasn't worked and Higuain's obviously a bit more more physical. Um and it's better than spending £75 million on Callum Wilson, who's a player who I think is really good, but probably not worth that. And he's had three serious knee injuries. And even now, you know, he's missed the last few games of the hamstring problem. He does seem to be quite susceptible. Chelsea are going to need a big focal point. It's probably better to be somebody a bit more robust like Higuain. And if it's a loan till the end of the season, then there's not much you can lose, is there? I suppose not. Another team who could be crying out for a striker are, of course, Tottenham Hotspur, Emma. After the terrible news for poor Harry Kane, who was seen visibly in discomfort at the end of last weekend's game against Manchester United, and the news that he's not going to be back until March. Yeah. This is the fourth successive season that he's had an ankle issue. Yeah. I mean, I mean it doesn't look good for Tottenham, but my stance on this is I don't think they'll bring anyone in. Daniel Levy doesn't spend any money anyway doesn't tend to do a lot of transfer business. What makes you think that he'll bring in some huge striker that's going to replace the England captain? So what are Not going to happen. What are they going to do? In this situation, you need a manager that has good man management skills. And who have you got? Maurizio Pochettino, the best man for the job. Mm. Lucas Moura put out a tweet yesterday that indicated he is on the road to recovery. I don't know what the timeline is with that, but he kind of hinted it won't be too long okay. until he's back involved. Can he play up front as a? As, and can he can he fill that role for them? Well, not necessarily the exact role that Kane played, but, uh, a but role. you know, yeah, he's he's a he's a creative player, he's an mm. attacking player, and Son, I think at most he will miss up to the Newcastle 
match, which isn't really too bad. I think it's four or five games altogether. So he should be back in time um, for both of the Borussia Dortmund legs. And um, potentially the Carabao Cup final. Yeah, I guess it's, semi- it's, that's what they've got to get through, this semi-final, really. That's the big, big test for Tottenham. Can they get through that semi-final? All right. You haven't mentioned the name of Fernando Rente <laughs> yet. Yes, oh I'm not. I'm not hugely convinced which role he'll have to play really in this situation. Um, I think he, w- but he's only played. He's played about half an hour of football, hasn't he, so far? He's made six sub appearances in the Premier League this season. Mm-hmm. That's it. And yeah, against Man United, he got ten minutes. It's quite a lot to ask of a 33 year old to well, to come in and have that impact. With Pochettino putting his arm around his shoulders. I mean, Can you imagine the boost that will offer? Antrick <laughs> against Tranmere Rovers very recently, so and they're playing full on this weekend. Mm. It's the ideal chance to wheel him out and, and you know pull his string and, and, and let him rock. I mean, Daly Alley as well is another option. He's scored four times in the nine games he's played when Harry Kane hasn't played any part. So. Okay. Um, they have got options. I mean, none of them are perfect, but if anyone can find a way, you'd imagine Pochettino can. Right. And what? to be fair, you might not actually need strikers against Fulham, who famously conceded two yeah. goals without <laughs> any shots on target yeah. last weekend. I was just going to add ah. as well, we all know that Pochettino is very good at encouraging youth, younger players to come through. And I remember it was only a few years ago when I was at um, Watford when we were playing Manchester United when their side was absolutely riddled with injury. And we noticed on the bench number 39, Marcus Rashford. Uh-huh. Who's that? We all looked at each other. And sure enough, in the coming weeks, he ended up making himself a main part of Manchester United's team. So whether it you know it gives way to Troy one of Parrott. the yes, yeah, one of the many. Would that be Troy Parrott? Is that the name? Yeah, he's a 16-year-old who's played a couple of times in the EFL Trophy this season. He's a Ireland under-19 international striker. I think he's the the next in line to. It's also uh, the name Harry's of the Dave album. <laughs> okay, well that's the situation then. Is it? It's it's Fulham at Spurs this weekend. It's at Craven Cottage. Right. It's at Craven Cottage. Yeah, Fulham starting the weekend five points from safety. Obviously, it could be more by the time Sunday rolls around. You, you often look at games uh, for teams, you know, in the lower half, certainly in the in the bottom six against the top six, and you say, oh, this is a free hit for them. But mm. I think we're kind of past that stage with Fulham now so they they will be looking at this as an opportunity to take something from Spurs given yeah, that they are we've yet to see Ranieri pull off one of his coups you know some big surprise upset he's going to unleash Ryan Babel Ryan maybe Babel, so yeah. <laughs> Ryan Babel's first Premier League game since Roy Hodgson's last match as Liverpool manager wow be. extraordinary um, so Matt you're suggesting that Fulham might spring a surprise might turn over Tottenham I'm not sure if I'd go so far as to say I'm suggesting they might do that but I, I think that it's not a game that they can say hey well look we've got a big game coming up next week so we'll you know do what Benitez does and maybe not pick a full strength team with an eye on that one because they're running out of games and they're five points from safety Mitrovic he mm. scored in um, I think the last three meetings mm. when he's faced Tottenham Mitrovic Although... who, who was pulled off Kamara <laughs> not like an Oxford United player but <laughs> Uh, was was Kamara Mitrovic? Was uh, it? Yeah, there's allegedly been this punch-up. During in, a yoga session? During a relaxation session. I mean, that says a lot, doesn't it, about mm. the temperament of the players at the club at the moment. You want that kind of passion when you're in a relegation scrap. Well, you do, but you also need the team to be in harmony and to be working together. Do you know, in all the sports films I've ever seen, the fight has always led to some kind of special bond being built between players. Mm. And uh, winning the big one, and maybe sure the big one against the local rivals. Yeah. That's the narrative here, isn't it? I'm calling it, yeah. Fulham to beat Spurs on Sunday. Fulham to beat Spurs. But it also marks the start of the remaining 
Fulham home games. They've got still got Tottenham, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester City to play at home Oof. before the end of this season. And, you know, to stay up, you need to have some kind of home form. So they're going to have to pull it out of the bag against at least one of these big teams that will be visiting uh, in the coming months. So. It's a huge game then this weekend. It is. Huge Why game not go for project. a wounded Tottenham Hotspur? <clears throat> Absolutely. The other match, of course, is Man United at home to Brighton. Will Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, assimilating all the advice I've been given, that's what I think his name is, will he get seven wins in a row, Duncan? He might do. He should do. He's playing Brighton at home. You'd, you'd imagine he would. I mean, if he does, he'll equal the, the Premier League record for most wins at the start of a managerial career at a club, um, which is six, um, held by Antonio Conte and Pep Guardiola. So that's pretty good company to be in. Right. Magnificent. Seagulls, of course, have only won three of their last 24 on the road, although they have beaten United in their last two meetings, but they were both at the Amex. Mm. All right, then. And they were both to Jose Mourinho. Fair point. Mm. Mm. OK, well, that's the situation vis-a-vis the teams battling for a place in the top four in Champions League football next season. After this, we'll move on to one of the other really big stories uh, this week, the fallout from the Leeds-Derby affair. People of the Totally Football Shows, you know what you could be listening to right here? You, your company, your product, out here in front of hundreds and thousands of listeners who are mostly men between the ages of 25 and 44. As well as the twice-weekly Totally Football Show, we've got a network of other football shows. There's Galazzo for the discerning cosmopolitan listener. There's the Totally Football League Show for the loyal hardy listener. And there's the Totally Scottish Football Show for your listener who likes those big square sausages. And we've got even more podcasts on the way in 2019. Some of them not even based around football or indeed sport. To discuss advertising on one of the Totally Football shows or across the Muddy Knees Media Network, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. We reach well over a million pairs of ears each week and now you can too. Email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Mm. Marcelo Bielsa, call him Bielsa Bub, Matt, <laughs> with his nefarious arcane tactics of researching other teams and that. Much excitement on Tuesday. You recall that this all began because when Derby played away at Leeds beforehand, a figure was apprehended with a pair of pliers outside the Derby training ground. It turned out to be a Leeds employee. And uh, Bielsa said, yes, I sent him to spy to try and unlock the secret to Frank Lampard's Rams. Now, Wednesday, after much talk of things like points deductions, Bielsa suddenly announced a press briefing. A lot of people thought, oh, my goodness, he's going to resign. But instead, with what followed was very different, I think. Uh, an over an hour of, of briefing in which he deconstructed Derby's squad and tactics for the entire world to see as a kind of one-man football WikiLeaks uh, in the interest, he said, of helping the FA's inquiry. The whole performance and the level of detail that he has had tactics and stats geeks rushing to find fresh trousers. Duncan, what did you think? Well, luckily I wasn't wearing trousers at the time, so I didn't need to find fresh ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was impressive what Bielsa showed, but I think what was more surprising was the reaction, I think, of a lot of the, of the journalists who were there, who seemed quite baffled that a club would go to this level of detail. Um, how, how deep was the level of detail? Well, I mean, they'd watched all of their opponents' games, they'd prepared tactical analysis of what they do, you know, I mean, this is pretty standard stuff throughout the, the top four leagues in England now, um, and... 
you know, there are various companies, Opta being one, and there are others as well that will provide tools that can help you do this. Um, you know, Bielsa, um, he looked like he did a lot of his work quite manually. But, you know, each manager will have their own method. But mm. this stuff is pretty standard now. At Opta, you know, as, as professionals in this game, mm. what did you make of his research? No, it was admirably thorough. Um, but, I mean, as I said, it's what you'd expect um, a club of that size and stature going for promotion to be doing. Right. A lot of people also felt that he had stitched up Derby a treat by splashing all their information about their squad, about their yeah, that, piece routines. That was excellent. I mean, the fact that he uh, he basically just said, right, this is what we've got on Derby. You know, it was uh, Frank Lampard. By way of example. <laughs> yeah. Good team, to, random team to pick there. So um, some of the colour... Tr- damage them? I don't think so. I mean, as I said, most, I think most of the other championship clubs will have similar information to that. Mm. I like the fact that he said, listen, I'm going to hold my hands up. I did this not because... You know, not for any kind of nefarious purpose, but just because I'm a complete obsessive and I'm not right in the head. And I need to do this just to kind of keep the voices quiet. Mm, I think a lot of the the media reaction to it, which has been quite fawning, has been because it's Bielsa without acknowledging that he's got a team of 20 people who help him out with it. So it's not, you know, just something that he's done, watched 51 games, analysed them for four hours on his own, and this is what he's come up with. Mm. But, you know, the sight of all those blue folders was, was quite satisfying and um, i watched it unfold on twitter which i think was actually the best way to do it from the people who were who were live tweeting it phil hay of the of the yorkshire evening post did a good job and um, my favorite being this has gone on so long that bielsa is having to let a few journalists out of the door <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just you know it, as duncan says it's what every team does these days certainly i mean probably even down to league one level i, I would say i mean they maybe don't have 20 em- employees that they can call on and um, to help them with the analysis but frank lampard was quite funny in his post-match press conference after the Southampton game last night coming in and saying everybody ready for my presentation huh. um, was quite a nice way to deflect it but they did have Oldham United down as uh, one of the teams they've been studying so maybe not as thorough as it uh, should be because of course they are Oldham Athletic. It's a fair point but, and anyway beyond all of this just returning to the business at the Derby training ground Emma that that kind of thing happens as well all over the place we've heard Villas Boas admitting that mm. he did it. It's naive to think this doesn't go on. Right. In this case, it's PR genius from the club, Leeds United, from from Bielsa to go out and own this. When people are talking of point deduction, what do you do when Leeds turn around and say, actually, we've been doing this in every single game? (laughs) And also, I think what he did yesterday, what the club did yesterday... It's got all the fans back on side. And a lot of the neutrals now have are kind of smirking at this situation. And I think Leeds have got a lot of the neutrals on board from it too. It seems like more of a popular opinion now to find this quite funny as a whole as a whole situation. It was clever in that um Bielsa did this and put all the stats out there and let the average football fan into the lives of what it's like being a coach of, of Leeds United. And it just, yeah, it's it's just made this hysteria around this stupid topic, which all the <laughs> professionals in the game are turning around and saying, this happens all the time, it's madness. But right. this is what football fans are like. It's typical news and it's extraordinary people doing ordinary things, but we are fascinated by it as football fans. I will completely admit that even at the end of Watford matches, the players will all be given a whole bunch of food and energy drinks and stuff. And there's often a lot left over and a few of us staff will go in and mop up effects. Mm -hmm. get a little snack after the game and often you look to the side and some of the tactical stuff is left on the board 
And it does. I've worked for the club for three, four years. It gives you, not, it's almost like a bit of a buzz looking at it, thinking, oh, you know, this is quite an exclusive behind the scenes look at the club. So for the average fan to have been let into the Leeds United camp to this extent, it's just created such a, a buzz and at a critical time of year. They've got past Christmas, they're top of the championship table. And I really do think it's going to give them some momentum for the second half of the season. Right. And I think it's quite good. I mean, last week, a lot of the talk was about how all Manchester United needed was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to put his arm around players and cheer them up but this week is the, the flip side to that you know you can see the amount of research that clubs do ahead of games and, and all their planning and maybe the, it's actually a bit of both is the is the key to a successful mm, manager I hear you Derby anyway did roar back uh, Wednesday night and did score from a set piece with uh, Harry Wilson who featured heavily of course in Bielsa's presentation coming from 2-0 down against Saints for the second game in a row uh, to win ultimately 5-3 on penalties. Uh, as a reward, they get to travel to Accrington Stanley in the fourth round. That's on Saturday the 26th of January. There were other, how many? Three other FA Cup replays. Sheffield Wednesday got their place in the fourth round sorted with a 1-0 win at Luton. Shrewsbury away at Stoke uh, coming from 2-0 down themselves for a 3-2 win. Not good that for Stoke's... Uh, New manager Nathan Jones is having a, a rough time of it. He's so, got to play Leeds next. Has he? Yeah, so who's going to be at the training ground today? It's <laughs> a very good question. And, of course, they've got Wolves then in the fourth... I say, of course, but they have. They've got Wolves in the fourth round. And also through this week, much to their manager's displeasure, Newcastle, <laughs> who beat Blackburn Rovers 4-2 at a cost, as we'll hear shortly. Although, uh, perhaps, Duncan, you want to say something right now about that? It was Newcastle's first away win in the FA Cup since January 2006, which is a long time ago. And was the same time that, remember that whale that swam up the Thames and yes. sort of died outside Parliament? So I don't know if there's a sort of connection. Wow. And an eerie presage of... Yeah. Uh, OK. Yeah, as you say, Leeds face Stoke next. And Beals has said, we looked at Stoke. It's hard as the new coach has only had three games. So we analysed the 26 games he's had at Luton. It's extraordinarily thorough, isn't it? I saw Stoke last weekend. Did you? I, yeah, I can tell you that it won't take hours and hours of analysis. It might feel like hours and hours. To, uh, to see that they're just not very good, actually. All right. OK. Oh, a quick word before we move back on to other things. Uh, Forrest, Daniel Story writing off Martin O'Neill, your brand new manager, mm. as a right man, wrong time. I think he was even being polite with that. Uh, what, what do you think, Matt? Hart says, this is great. Head says... Uh, he hasn't been in club football for five years and his last few jobs haven't gone very well at all. Um, I'm interested that his press is not till later today. There's been nothing on the length of his contract. If it's a, so a short-term, Henry Winters made this point, Solskjaer-like appointment, mm. then maybe it could work. But changing your manager in the championship at this point to try and get promoted hardly ever works. I mean, it is really nice that Martin O'Neill is back at Forest for a bit, but if he does what Stuart Pearce did and wins three out of 24 games, then it's not so good. The information that's been disseminated by uh, some of the Forest media cabal who are a bit higher up the food chain than me is that whilst Lovisa Jakanovic wanted a ridiculous amount of money but he's got two teams promoted to the Premier League in recent memory one of them last season from a position not dissimilar to Forest, and the money for going in the Premier League is ginormous so why not just give him that money and let him do it um, I'm also slightly concerned about the presence of Roy Keane I don't mind is, Martin O'Neill they, they are um, negotiating his deal as we speak he's expected to come in as the number two but I'm not sure if 2019 
Keane getting screamed at by Roy Keane is going to make you play much better. Obviously, he's ex-Forest as well. Um, but yeah, we'll see. They've sold out the game for Bristol City on Saturday, so commercially it's a good thing for the club, at least in the short term. But yeah, to be convinced. I really hope it works. OK, Forest currently lying ninth, four points off the playoffs. There's more of this kind of thing in the Totally Football League show, if you would like. Right, well, after this, we'll return to the Premier League and talk about the weather. Prospects don't look too bright for Arsenal and Chelsea at White Hart Lane. Slap into a chaps, let's see what it's like underneath. Looks a hefty lot to clear away in two hours or so if the ref says it's okay to play. And here's Mr. Looty, the ref, making up his mind. It's a bit tricky. Just a little more off the top, please. Now shovel it all back, no play today. That's right, listener, they're talking about snow. And they could well be this weekend because there's Boku of, uh, of Blizzard predicted up and down this happy aisle. And Greaves says, with the potential for snow this weekend, what's the best ever Premier League game played in the snow? Well, there aren't many because they've all got undersaw heating now. Ooh. So they've destroyed even that, the orange ball. I mean, my favourite image from a, from a snow-based football ground was the John Motson one ahead of a Wickham Peterborough FA Cup tie in 1990. Uh-huh. And... That was the thing that launched his sheepskin coat meme, as it would be called now. So he, had, you know, he wasn't associated with the sheepskin coat until that moment. And then, what happened? What did you do with the coat? Though? Well, he just stood in the snow reporting right. from a, a game that couldn't be played. In a sheepskin coat. Yeah, and then that became his thing. Wow. Every, every montage of John Motson has that shot or snow related to football. It's, right. it's iconic. I don't have happy memories of um, going to, to football in snow, I've got to be honest. Do you right. remember the beast from the east last March? Yes. Uh, I was at Molyneux that day for Wolves against Burton, the glamour tie. It was so cold, most of the written journalists stayed in the press room and watched the game on screens in there. Uh, but being broadcast, I had to go outside. Right. Um, How cold was it? Do you have a uh, It was, oh, what? Oh, I think well, it was in the minuses, wasn't it? Was and minus it, eight, minus it was just nine. relentless snow. Right. And the way that the stand we were in hung over the pitch, it blocked the sunlight. So when there were spells of blue sky, mm. um, I think two thirds of the pitch really, it had melted and they were able to clear. But this third nearest us, the flank nearest us, it just didn't melt at all. So it meant the whole game was played on only two thirds of the pitch, anyway, and it just it made the whole thing. That's brilliant. Bizarre. You know, they should do that much like Fortnite. Just have the, <laughs> the, the 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 space of play continually narrowed throughout the match, and certainly when you go into extra time, you get an ever ever <laughs> ever decreasing strip. Of the pitch. Well, a lot of managers in League One and League Two do that every week, <laughs> to be fair. Coldest game I've ever been at was um, Russia-Italy in the, uh, in, the, in the World Cup qualifying playoff for uh, World Cup 98, France 98. And that was, I think, minus 15. Me and Joe Jordan, who, who barely flinched in his probably a singlet and his shorts <laughs> or something. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was cold. That was cold, yeah. Yeah, Buffon making his Italy debut in a, a one-more draw. Very exciting. Uh, Emma, you, you wanted to be a weather person. I did. If I'd got the interview and got the job that day, I probably wouldn't be sat here. Had a, I did a degree in geography, yeah. and um, before I got into all the sports journalism business at the BBC, right. had an interview at the Met Office in Exeter. Did you? Yeah. And what went wrong? Uh, well, they obviously didn't, didn't like me. I don't know. I was destined to do something else, and here I am. Here's a funny thing, because Matt, you also interviewed or something to be a weatherman, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, very much back in the day, probably... It was when I was finishing uni, so around 03, yeah. uh, the BBC did this like kind of X Factor style, let's find the next 
a local weatherman. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I went in and auditioned, and they they gave you. Um, what was the audition? It was it was read uh, off an auto cue a three minute weather thing, but do some improvisation around it. And uh, my improvisation was around the fact that there was some rain. I said something like, so make sure you take a brolly. And I just saw the person making that shake their head as I said that, like, whoa, come on. Maybe, you know, back <laughs> right. in the in the it's 50s when weather was first on telly, that would have been an acceptable yep. piece of off-the-cuff banter. But, yeah, stayed, I think they thought it was. So All right. they showed me the door. Should have just shouted rumours of a hurricane over and over again for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if we ever launch totally weather, I you, say if, it's... When we launch Totally Weather, we've got some homegrown talent right here. Yeah. Oh, we could certainly audition. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right, well, that, that's splendid. Uh, in amongst all the snow that will be coming down, and, and speaking of, you know, minus plenty, minus numbers, Fulham, who are down in the bottom three, they've got that clash with Spurs that we mentioned before. Newcastle, who freshly dropped into the bottom three, have a huge game with Cardiff, who are just a point above them. Mm. Huddersfield, meanwhile, are hosting Man City and Huddersfield now with an interim boss, Coach Mark Hudson, after David Wagner's departure on Monday. Lovely way for Mark Hudson to start, although I suppose it's one of those free hits you were talking about home to Man City, is that right? Yeah, and uh, he's apparently strongly linked with actually getting the, the job on, on a permanent basis and, and Huddersfield, I think, are, are fairly certain they're going to make an announcement almost in the immediate aftermath of that game. But it's a difficult sell isn't it? Because it's effectively a couple of months of misery and then a championship job rather than a Premier League job. I don't think anybody realistically thinks that 11 points from 22 games, Huddersfield are going to be in a position to to stay up. And particularly, I mean, they got absolutely walloped in the reverse fixture, didn't they, against, against Man City. If they get another heavy beating, then if they haven't got it already sorted, it becomes an even less attractive proposition. Yeah, City who scored, what was it, 19 goals in the last three? Would that be right? Something like that. And Gabriel Jesus, I think with six in two. He's got seven goals in, in 2019, which is right. uh, three more than Liverpool. Four more than Liverpool. Wow. One of those numbers. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hudson uh, never won a Premier League game as a player, so he's possibly got the experience he needs. Where to, was he uh, playing, Duncan? Crystal Palace, I okay. think. Yeah. Man City might want to rest players ahead of the second leg against Burton next week, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, well, there's, there's that game. Uh, Newcastle taking on Cardiff, as I mentioned. Just one point between the sides. They are the second and third lowest scorers in the division. It was nil-nil naturally last time they faced each other. And Rafa Benitez is struggling with further injuries because that, that FA Cup third-round replay on Tuesday with Blackburn, not only did it go to extra time with all the fatigue involved... But uh, Kieran Clark got injured at halftime. His replacement, Jamal Lachelle, went off 10 minutes later. Fabian Shah, Isaac Hayden also limping off at the end uh, to join the likes of Paul Dummett, Modiami and Jonjo Shelby on their injury list. Benitez may struggle to name an 11, it says here, for Saturday's crunch game against Cardiff. As uh, the folks over at Eurosport were joking, if he loves the club that much... <laughs> Why doesn't Rafa just suit up? <laughs> They've got such a horrible home record, Newcastle. They've won two of 11. I mean, they haven't won um, a home game in the league since the 10th of November. This is a massive game it's for them. Probably okay. the least effective home team taking on the least effective away yeah. team in the league. So, oh. uh, yeah. I, can't, I can't see this being a festival of football in any sense. Um, Cardiff apparently had zero shots on target against Huddersfield, which mm. sounds like a stinker of a game. Speaking of clubs ravaged by an injury crisis, Liverpool will be hosting Crystal Palace, Palace team who themselves are 
by no means say four points from the drop. This is a tough game. Palace, of course, the team that did City to everyone's shock and surprise not too long ago. And Wolves. Yeah. And Wolves. I think there was something quite cautious about Liverpool's performance against Brighton, particularly in the first half. And I think they're probably going to have to take the same approach with Palace because... Brighton had Glenn Murray. I can just see with this um, sort of makeshift Liverpool back line with Fabinho playing as a centre-back. And Trent Alexander-Arnold, the latest to go in. Yeah, but, you know, your Wilfred Zahars, your Aaron wan they're going to cause more problems. Your Christian than... Mentekis? Or now am I being Arguably silly? not, yeah. No, because <laughs> he's, Potentially. he's back now. Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. Yeah. He is meant to be back with a bang. Well. Um, mm. But I, I just think... On the face of it, you think Liverpool win, but looking at this more closely, and you saw Palace did spring that surprise on Manchester City. It wouldn't surprise me if we see another largely cautious performance from Liverpool. I think they're just going to have to try and get through this one. Christian Benteke, by the way, fabulous stat, of course, about him, former Liverpool player, but he's famously scored more goals against Liverpool at Anfield than he did there for them. Mm. Mm. Did get a good overhead kick, consolation goal at Old Trafford, which I liked. But um, Palace restrained... Liverpool-Palace is a bit of a strange fixture because Palace have got a habit of winning against Liverpool. They won three of their last four Premier League games at Anfield. Um, they also, obviously, in 1990, beat Liverpool in the semi-final. Right. Cristambul as well. Cristambul, 3-3. Um, but the flip side to that is the last time Liverpool won the league in 89-90, this fixture ended 9-0 to Liverpool. Um, with eight eight different goal scorers, which is a pretty good game. So I'm going to say that this game is going to decide the title. So if Liverpool win, then it's theirs. If if they drop points in this game, it's over. And if Liverpool do win, their points total will be up to 60, the same total they finished on in the Leicester City season really? when they finished eighth. What's more, Chelsea could hit 50 points this weekend. Uh, if they do beat Arsenal, which would also equal their total from the Leicester City season really? uh, when they finish 10th. Don't remind me about no. that. <laughs> Good Lord. It was a tough sell for Chelsea TV that season. <laughs> <laughs> OK, the other game, just quickly mention here, Southampton, who are level on points with Cardiff, but have a better goal difference. They are hosting Everton, fresh from their defeat, uh, Southampton, that is, in the FA Cup third round replay. How much better are they doing under Ralph Hasenhuttle? Well, according to our friends at Opta, 53% of Southampton's Premier League points this season, 10 of their 19 have been won in the seven games that he's been in charge. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row, and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed Paddy Power, because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game, so everything is exciting. Plus, you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only, max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. What do you want to talk about next? Do we want to talk about Watford Burnley, which you'll be voicing, you know, live for the folk at Vicarage Rose? Yes. Do you want to talk about that, Emma? Only in the sense that okay. it should be another three points for Watford. All right. Burnley who... have had three wins in a row, do you know? They have, but Sean they've beaten Fulham, they've yeah. beaten Barnsley, they've yeah. beaten Huddersfield. Granted, they beat West Ham, mm. but 
they beat Watford, that's where I would say, oh, maybe Burnley are back to business. Compared to what they were doing before, that's that's a, a corner they've it, Well, it, it is, it is. But what I'm saying is whether Burnley have answered all their questions and from here on up they're, they're going to be climbing up the table, I don't know. Sean Dyche will be falling back on his intimate knowledge of Watford, of course, as a former player. Yes. A, a former manager. Former manager, well, manager yeah. Yeah, I mean... Watford, this will be the first time Watford have actually played at home uh, in 2019. Okay. Their away record has seen a remarkable turnaround from last season where Watford only scored one goal in that second half of that season. Second half of seasons are not really your thing at Watford. No, But it's maybe not. this year will be different. It does look to be different this year. Okay. Duncan, we had a question on Monday mm. uh, about, just speaking of Watford, and Craig Cathcart with his <laughs> scoring a goal at one, uh, an own Great goal, and stats, then yeah. remedying it at the other. And uh, a listener asked if it's if it's statistically more likely to score a goal if you've already scored an own goal. If you know what I mean, yeah. If people who score own goals generally then manage to, yeah, yeah. And you and you thought it might be well for me. It felt I know what you mean. It does feel like that happens quite a lot. It's basically happened five uh, percent of the time. So five percent of the instances has been an own goal in Premier League history, some, that player has then gone on and scored at the other end or, or had scored beforehand at the, at the right end. What, what does that mean? The 5% is so that? 5% sounds OK, but yeah. then if you look at the players who've done it, right. their average scoring in games rate is about 13%. So, oh. it's actually blows. so if you actually look at the sort of players who have scored at both ends, you've right. got the likes of Rooney, Bale, Giroud, Beckham, so names that will sort of stand out and people go, oh, did you see You know, Rooney scored at both ends? I did see um, that, yeah. And also high-scoring defenders like David Unsworth and John Terry. So I think I think what it actually is is that when it happens it's quite memorable so people kind of you know think it's more common than it probably is i see thanks for that and craig cathcart has scored four premier league goals and four premier league own goals oh what balance so there we go uh also this weekend wolves uh who's leicester it's wolves and foxes do you think that this game will respect the natural order and see the wolves triumph? Because it's surely, you know, a, a more dominant species, no? Where you'd pit a wolf and a fox. Yeah, and yeah, you know, the leaders of the respective packs, you take Nuno over Puel every day of the week. Also this weekend, Bournemouth taking on West Ham. Uh, no word yet on Arnautovic and his planned move to China. There has been suggestions linking West Ham, as every club, with Callum Wilson of Bournemouth equally suggestions that Bournemouth might be in for Brentford's is it Chris Meppham? Yeah Chris Meppham, Meppham yeah. this sounds like it's got legs to it as well because oh. they've been sniffing around him for the last um, two transfer windows OK is he any good? I think the price tag that goes with this player is largely for potential um, he's only about I think he's 20, 21 isn't he and from what I've seen of him at Brentford he certainly shows glimpses of being very good but he's just so young his disciplinary record isn't very good because Mm. I think he makes a lot of bad decisions which will come with experience I'm sure that's bound to improve Um, has a very good passing game um, and I think Brentford will be gutted to to see him go but it's just going to be another one of those things where It'll be interesting to see if someone that's really well respected in the Championship managed to cut it in the Premier League. We've seen with Fulham that Joe Bryan and Cyrus Christie haven't exactly got off to a flying start. And they were both, especially Joe Bryan, um, very well regarded in the Championship. Um, but but Bournemouth, it does, I guess, would look to David Brooks, wouldn't they? Yes, yeah. But £15 million, I think, is the price tag that they're, they're putting on him. I think it's one of those, we probably won't see him straight away, but there's a view that in years to come, uh, him and Ake will build this partnership. Abroad, some of the big leagues cranking back up into action this weekend, Matt. City A is back, fresh from Wednesday's grotesque Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, 
1-0 by Juventus, naturally, over Milan in what probably marks uh, Gonzalo Higuain's final appearance and a fleeting one for the Rossoneri. They, this weekend, uh, nine points clear, of course, of second place Napoli, will be hosting Chievo, who are bottom of the table, conversely, and on their third manager of this campaign. Games that you might find more entertaining were you to find them. Fiorentina Sampdoria should be good. Both teams reinforcing already. Luis Muriel coming in for Fiorentina and Sampa got Gabi Adini back in. That's one of the few clubs he's actually played well for. And they've got Quagliarella, who's brilliant. Uh, and, and Napoli Lazio, which is huge. Lazio fighting to make it into the Champions League places. And uh, Napoli there trying to hold Inter off in the, in the race for second, effectively. But more about all that in the return of Golazzo this week, in which we also discuss Aaron Ramsey's prospects in Turin. Bundesliga is back as well with Dortmund, six points clear of Bayern München. And Ligue 1 continues, where there's going to be a top-v-bottom clash, PSG taking on Gangon. PSG 13 points clear, as we established on Monday, with two games in hand. The team just above Gangon, meanwhile, are Monaco. They finally got to play that game against Nice, with the big Thierry Henry-Patrick Vieira reunion, which was originally scheduled for the 7th of December, but of course the... Uh, Crazy Folk and the Gilets Jaunes disrupted all of that. So uh, it took place anyway Wednesday night. What happened? Well, we have a man who was on the spot in Tom Williams, who joins us now on the line from Nice Airport. Hello, Tom. How was it at the Louis Deux? Hi, James. Uh, it was good fun at the Louis Deux. Not a particularly high-quality game, but quite an eventful one. We had a couple of goals. We had about three VAR controversies. We had a red card, a squandered penalty. Um, so, yeah, quite an enjoyable evening. OK. There have been plenty of changes in the last week or two at Monaco. Four new signings, Cesc Fabregas amongst them, but they weren't allowed to be used in this game, were they? No. Um, so Fabregas and his fellow new recruits were ineligible because when this game was due to be played in December, they obviously hadn't been registered uh, by Monaco, so they weren't allowed to play. So they were watching from the stands. Um, and it, it told, really. I mean, Monaco have, have looked a little bit better since the turn of the year. They played quite well at Marseille at the weekends. The new recruits particularly impressive. Um, and and without them, this, this, this was basically the, the Monaco that we got used to seeing over the first few months of the season. You know, not all that great. Not much in the way of ideas going forward quite quite fragile defensively and Thierry Henry said as much in his post-match press conference he said look this is this is not the team that I want to be playing with you know this group of players cannot do what I want them to do I think he's quite looking forward to getting Fabregas and and the rest of them back into the team on Saturday when they host uh, Strasbourg Mm. Okay so they're two points from Dijon who are third last in the relegation playoff position can Thierry keep them up? Yeah I I think there have been signs of improvement since the turn of the year Um, we know that, that Monaco messed up their transfer window over the summer, you know, got rid of important players who weren't adequately replaced. Uh, and then this massive injury glut they had in the first part of the season left them dependent on some very callow, very green young players. They've moved to correct that in January by bringing in guys like Fabregas, like Naldo, like Fede Balotore from Lille. Um, and, and, and they have looked better with those players in the team. Yes, it'd be disappointing not to have not to have beaten these, particularly because they were playing against 10 men in the second half. But I think once those players are back in the team, Monaco should start moving in the, in the right direction you're listening to the totally football show sponsors of melchester rovers find out more at roytherroversofficial.com we've heard about syria but what about syria well here's matt to give us an asian cup update 
I strap yourself in. I've got a very, very um, comprehensive roundup sent to me by my uh, good friend Paul Connaughton, who works for Fox Sports in Australia. Uh, in the UK, we haven't got any TV yeah. coverage of this event, so um, thanks to Paul for helping me with this. Um, he said broadly, by the way, that they've expanded it to 24 teams like they did with the Euros in mm. 2016, and it's been really well received. There's been lots of attacking football. Most of the games have had something riding on them, so very much not like Euro 2016, um, which is good. Group A, uh, the hosts, the United Arab, Arab Emirates, are yep. through. They finished top um uae through his group winners uh yeah but they had some questionable calls in their game uh-huh. um thailand also through but they sacked their manager after being beaten by india in their first game Serb milan rajevic was in charge they were beaten 4-1 by an india team who were managed by uh, an english journeyman called steve constantine yeah. if you've got time look at his wikipedia his his career map is um is quite unbelievable well, there's apparently he's he's co-authored a fabulous book about his uh his career path, which Michael Cox was saying is one of the best football books he's ever right. read. So um, India basically finished bottom of the group, but with the joint top scorers in the group. Yeah. It was always a nice little touch, nice. little quirk. Um, group B, uh, Daniel was talking on Monday, wasn't he, about Jordan being the surprise package. They've won the group ahead of Australia. Australia have also gone through. Jordan didn't concede a goal in the group stage, beat Australia. Then they beat Syria and drew with Palestine. Um, Aussies recovered from that defeat in their first game, beating Palestine 3-0, but they then needed a stoppage time winner from Celtic midfielder Tom Rogic to get past Syria 3-2 in their final group game. But the, do you want to hear the nice story about the Australian striker? Uh, his name is Awer Mabil. He's um, uh, a Kenyan refugee, plays in Denmark with Mijilam, but he represents Australia. And he's been doing a goal celebration in support of people living with mental illness. Uh, so he does this action in which he covers his mouth with both hands whilst pointing to his forehead. He says that represents peace to the mind to those who are suffering and he hopes the image will be shared online with the hashtag am challenge okay wasn't it that australia syria game where a penalty was given as well for um but it turned out that one of the syria players kind of fouled another syria player and australia had nothing to do with it and they were given a penalty which levelled it up to two all at the time. I think, well, it, yeah, it all got pretty tense and then Australia eventually won. There have been lots of question marks over the but officiating. Some of the, yeah, some of the refereeing decisions in this competition. Australia obviously also played in the World Cup game where Graham Pohl booked three That's players. So yeah, yeah. yeah. South Korea through with a flawless record, won all three games, haven't conceded a goal yet, and obviously right. that's without Son to come. Uh, China and Kyrgyzstan have also gone through from that group. Uh, Iran and Iraq both through from Group D. Vietnam waiting to see if they go through as one of the uh, lucky losers, if you will. Uh, from Group E, Qatar and Saudi Arabia are through and Lebanon waiting to see if they can go through. Not gone well for North Korea. They played two games, conceded 10, scored nil. See what fate awaits them when they get home. Uh, Uzbekistan and Japan through to the knockout stage. Shocking, man. That was a little bit group F. ominous. Well, you remember the, good, the 2010 World Cup yeah. made-to-do-hard-labour kind of thing? Um, yeah. Anyway, Uzbekistan and Japan through from Group F. Uh, uh, so yeah they're waiting to complete that group today Japan have taken a very young squad likes of Shinji Kagawa uh, left at home they're uh-huh. kind of planning for the next World Cup rather than uh, making this the priority when do the knockouts start? the knockouts start on Sunday okay. we, uh, the last 16 uh, starts on Sunday and there is one tie which at the time of recording well, there'll be plenty uh, of was oh, already no, they might not make it you think <laughs> it's Thailand v China yeah Thailand won it through as one of the uh, yeah teams from Group A oh so, they are semis on the 28th final on the 1st of Feb round of 16 kicks off on Sunday I'm very confused okay <laughs> super alright well let's get some odds potentially on that I'm not sure but on other things that are coming up this weekend 
Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners, and moshi moshi to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, we're running out of time on today's show, so let's get some odds. Let's start with Chelsea versus Arsenal. What's going to happen here? Tighter than Arsenal's transfer budget, this one. The Gardens are 15 to 8, so a short price, but we actually favour the away team, Chelsea, who are 13 to 10, and that's still quite good value. If, unlike me, you don't fancy Chelsea for this one, our money back special does offer you some security this week. It's money back as a free bet if Chelsea win. Selected markets only, pre match singles only, max free bet £10, TNCs apply. Spurs, of course, are going into their match with Fulham without Harry Kane. So uh, give me the first goal scorer market on this one, please. And now that Kane is out, where are they going to finish in the league? Well, we still think Tottenham win without the talisman, but the first goal scorer market is an absolute mess without the words Harry Kane involved. Spurs remain odds-on to win at 4-6, while Fulham are a pretty lengthy 4-1. Fernando Llorente, who did score an FA Cup hat-trick earlier this month, will likely take Kane's place in the team. And he does take Kane's place as the favourite to score. It's 6-5 to five he scores any time, and 4-1 to one he scores first. And finally, right at the bottom of the table, we've said Auf Wiedersehen to David Wagner at Huddersfield. Uh, give us the markets, please, on the next manager to take over at the John Smiths. Well, you know things are bad when Big Sam rules himself out of managing your club. He was the early favourite, then we saw a run on David Moyes, but now the market is dominated by men I can't claim to know too much about. The current favourite is Dortmund's under-23 coach Jan Sievert. He's ahead of the likes of Huddersfield coach Christoph Buhler, former Dortmund caretaker coach Peter Sturger, and the newly available Ita Karanka. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Who's having a big weekend? Obviously you, Emma, mm. with your with your I've got the Sean Dyche Andre Gray Derby right. at Vicarage Road. Also we will be remembering Graham Taylor, Watford's greatest ever manager. Two years since he sadly passed away. So the done thing is everybody, it's bring a scarf day before kickoff. It's quite a sight. Everyone holds their scarf in the air. Mm. And also we'll be raising a glass. There's a free drinks voucher for every fan before the game. Oh, that's lovely. I have to say, take a scarf anyway because it's going to be cold. It is going to be cold, yeah. Right. Uh, On the subject of the great Graham Taylor, uh, who I only got the chance to meet a couple of times, but was an absolute gentleman, lovely fellow. There's Among the many things that... I've seen this week about him, mm. uh, was an interview with Ken McGill, which I think was actually... Uh, Ken McGill was the guy who directed Do I Not Like That and was kind of mortified at the fact that it essentially... A lot of people saw it as almost you know stitching up. or It, it certainly nailed Graham to a particular vision of his time as, as England manager. And, and uh, it, it's a great interview. Uh, if you have a look for Ken McGill talks about Graham Taylor, mm-hmm. it's, uh, Ken's, Ken's a very interesting guy anyway. But it just what it says about Graham as, as a as a person I've worked with just as a human being. It's a, it, it's a great little piece. Um, anyway, so that's what you're getting up to on Saturday, is it? The Clash with Burnley. Yep. All right then, Duncan. What have you got in store? Uh, I will not be leaving the house if the weather stays cold. I see. We'll be turning the heating up to unprecedented levels and what? Can you access the Optimatrix from your domicile? I can. Yes, it's uh, it's in the air rather than on the ground so I can I'm struggling with the concept yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah no I'm looking forward to Arsenal-Chelsea um, and Fulham-Tottenham okay yeah Arsenal-Chelsea for me and um, we should probably doff our skull caps to Petr Cech in the week that he announced oh, yeah, his, that's uh, true. his retirement um, word that rumour that he might get a, a position at Chelsea in some formal fashion um, once he does hang up his cap but what a great career he had and a sign of you know how revered he was that I can't see 
Roman Abramovich letting anybody else or sanctioning a move for uh, a player to a rival like Arsenal in the way that he did yeah. for Petr Cech, much to Jose Mourinho's chagrin. It's amazing to think, what was it, 12 years ago that Stephen, um, Stephen Hunt went in on his head with his knee? I mean, inadvertently, of course, but um, and at the time, the thought that he would have 12 years pretty much at top level all the way... I think was furthest from everyone to mind. Yeah, and his explanation of why that was so devastating for him, because he was a twin, that means that his skull is thinner than most people's oh, because wow. of the way that works. Yeah, yeah so that's that's why uh, he was more prone to that injury and why he had to carry on wearing the cap. Lovely man, Petr and Cech. His man. first ever season in the Premier League remains arguably the best goalkeeping mm. display ever seen. 24 clean sheets, which I think even Alisson this season will, will find it tough to beat. Mm, there you go, Petr Cech. Uh, right, well, that, that's it for us for today. Totally Football Show returns on Monday uh, with another exciting lineup. Michael Cox will be back, Sasha Gurionov, and also Natalie Jedra, so uh, of ESPN Brazil. Woof. So, uh, do join us for that, listener, and uh, have yourselves a great weekend in the meantime. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.